0: Well, welcome to Nothing to Hide again with your hosts, uh, Justin and Cody Hyde, as always. And boy, we're excited this morning. It's a cold day here. We're in Idaho and uh, we've got snow. We're looking at snow right now. It's a cold day, but we're really excited about the, the guest uh, that we are going to be talking with today. He's been at the top of our list for quite some time and, and uh, has been a, a, a mentor for, for you and I as we've studied his life uh, over the years. Um, and a a great friend and a heck of a fly fisherman we were actually just talking um, there's a few places that uh, we we love to fly fish one in particular is a very technical hole and so we always uh hold out for guys that can really cast and boy this uh this angler nailed it we we spent most of the day on that one hole um and uh just had a really good time but uh justin why don't you <coughs> go ahead and introduce our guest today wonderful it's uh it's really my honor thanks for being here john we uh we have
1: john cushman the third uh with us and and uh like cody says it's our our great pleasure and honor to have such a a quality uh man here with us on our show today and and um, you know when most people think john about uh The Cushman name and and Cushman family, you know, it's uh, synonymous with real estate. When I think about real estate, I think about the different classes of real estate and and Class A real estate being the finest. And when I think about John Cushman III, I think about a Class A man and and the Cushman family, a Class A family. And, and, um, you know, we just have have been so impressed uh, for as long as we've known you with the— the, the really, the the class that that you and your family are um, to to the business world as well as the uh, the the community in general. Um, John, you've you've uh, been the chairman of Cushman and Wakefield. Um, I, I was cruising around online. I don't know how accurate, but it appears to, you know, currently have more than 50,000 employees and over four billion square feet of real estate. Uh, annual sales are close to. Uh, Ten billion dollars a year—it's not a a small organization that uh, your family has has created and and led, and and really been the captain of industry for so long. But in addition, president of the Boy Scouts nationally, um, you know, on the board of Callaway, and and so many other things. Um, Again, it's our pleasure, and and, uh, John would love to just hear how it all started uh, for you and your family, and. Mm Well, in my case, um, I uh, grew
2: up in Montclair, New Jersey. It turned out that this town, 14 miles from New York City, was also the home of J. Clydesdale Cushman, the founder of Cushman & Wakefield, with my great-uncle Bernard Wakefield. People are always curious about that, but they married sisters. So they both lived in Montclair, New Jersey, I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey, and I guess in my case, it was, I was probably genetically disposed to enter the real estate business because nobody knew anything different, and I grew up uh, around the dinner table. We'd have family discussions about many subjects, but real estate was always one of them, and I, uh, I always love to hear the adults talk about the real estate industry. And I listened all the time very carefully because I found it fascinating. And I got in the business uh, in 1963 in the fall. And uh, I, of course, didn't know anything. And I entered the business at $75 a week and Worked in Midtown Manhattan at 529 5th. And uh, I soon realized that at $75 a week, I couldn't live on it. <laughs> uh, it was impossible. So I, it was called the draw. I got off the draw. I then moved back with my family in New Jersey, in Montclair, which was a short train ride or a bus ride into the city, Uh, and eventually, uh, after having made a lot of mistakes as a broker, a commercial real estate broker, where I was involved in leasing of office space, and because I was a young guy who didn't know anything, my first assignment was in a location that nobody wanted to work in, called park avenue south and i was involved with what was known and still known as the new york life building at 51 madison avenue a magnificent building in the wrong location (laughs) now today it's in the right location but when i started then uh it was the wrong location when i started out uh, i would go to this location neighborhood at 28th and Park Avenue South. And I would go to all the buildings on the street. I'd start on the top floor and uh, knock on the door, walk in and ask to meet with the president. Remember, I'm 23 years old and I don't know what I'm doing. And most of the time, I never got by the receptionist. Every once in a while, I convince somebody to let me see the head of the office. And uh, those were days when you could actually do what I just explained, but you can't do that today. You can't do that today because every building is closed off in the first floor and uh, everything is controlled by security. You can't go in an elevator And in those days, I'd go in the elevator and go to the top floor and work my way down. (laughs) And I should have known, you learn by making mistakes, and I made lots of them. But I remember going to one building, it was uh, on Park Avenue South, and it had the name of the building like uh, 480 Park Avenue South uh, Partnership. And it was a, a wooden door with a glass panel and gold letters. And I went in to, and asked for the, the boss, having made a horrific mistake, because I should have realized that the name on the door was the owner of the building. <laughs> he wasn't at all pleased that I walked in and was asking him about moving out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> and he owned it, so... So I had some close calls where I had to run out of the office, get in the elevator, but this guy had a way to control the elevator and more than a few times I was locked in the elevator. <laughs> uh and I, I was always claustrophobic, so it didn't I didn't like it. Uh but I learned and I made notes on every uh person I called on. And at the end of the day, I kept go back to the office and make phone calls. And I realized when it was time to go, when no one was around to answer the phone, and I ended up with thousands of five by seven cards. And I realized this system wasn't working. This was before computers and and all the technology tools we have now. So in the end, I got rid of all the cards and decided it was better to keep it all in my head and just remember everything and and then the name of the tenant the location what floor they were on when their lease was up what their rent was wow if i could get that information and and i usually uh if i could get anywhere with that tenant on a floor i usually was able to get enough information i could really uh have a serious dialogue so
1: that's how I got into business. Boy, that's amazing. What a story. Thank you for, for sharing that. And, you know, it's been really fun for Cody and I um, as we've launched this this podcast. We've got a lot of young listeners, and, and they reach out um, about questions relating to entrepreneurship. And and um, a lot of them, I think, John, are f- afraid to, to make mistakes. Um, uh, I know you've always been an advocate of... of making mistakes and and finding a mentor. And talk to our young listeners a little bit about that. Should should they be afraid to make mistakes in life and business in general? Well, as you know, um, the Boy Scouts of America wrote a book
2: about my life. And in that book, I talked about that subject. And uh, the bottom line is that with COVID-19 today, it's very difficult for young people to even get in the business because they're stuck in a virtual environment. And it's really critical that these young men and women get themselves uh, into an office where there's a culture, where they can have a mentor, where they can learn, they can make mistakes, hopefully not major mistakes that upset the apple cart. But I've always believed that you've got to take risks. If you don't take risks, you'll end up in the middle of the pact, and no one will ever know who you were. You won't get ahead in the corporate environment or institutional situations. You just won't get ahead. You've got to uh, make take risks, make mistakes, learn from every mistake. Don't make the same mistake twice. That's for sure. But um, I've always believed that if you're one of those kind of people that wants to be an entrepreneur or wants to get ahead, you got to get out in front and you have to have a distinctive competence. You've got to distinguish yourself from everyone else. And in so doing, develop your own persona, um, go out there uh, and, 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 uh, again, take risks. If you don't take those risks, it'll be
1: uh, uh, an environment where you simply won't get ahead. Yeah, that's excellent insight. Thank you. And, um, you know, I know that's been uh, definitely a, uh, a big part of our lives and careers we we could start talking about our mistakes john and and never record another podcast and stick on that for the next many years so we're good at making those mistakes but you know thank you for um your service in the boy scouts i know for cody and i much of our lives uh, early lives were shaped really by the boy scouts and and it's you know sad to see some of the, the the troubles um that that they've been facing um but for us it's a big part of who we are and and um and meeting your family and knowing them um you know i imagine that that's uh, that the outdoor components the horses and the fishing and all those sorts of things you know have had an impact wouldn't you say that's the case in in uh, your life as well cody
0: absolutely yeah um the boy scouts really did shape our lives It, it gave us a love for the outdoor for the adventures uh for the sporting aspect that that we really want to pass on to the next generations we've tried to to help serve uh and give back uh, with the boy scouts uh, i know we've both been leaders there as well and and uh probably not the best leaders uh john probably heard about us when he was president
1: yeah we uh, might have been on your liability <laughs> sheet there <John. laughs>
0: <laughs> we created some neat adventures but uh but john i i th- the one thing i think uh as we were fishing th- that i really grasped was uh, you know if you could describe uh, you, you know a perfect day it'd be much in line with our perfect day and in and riding horses and, and fly fishing and spending it with family and and uh, but tell us a little bit where where that love of the outdoors and the sporting came about in your life yeah, I mean growing those. up in in New York that seems a little bit Odd maybe. For,
1: for those listening you know john cushman's one heck of a cowboy and uh it'd be fun to hear where that came from
0: he looks a lot better in a cowboy hat than us yeah I, that's in a chest. Sure. he walked in i was a little jealous <laughs>
2: <laughs> well my love for uh the outdoors came from um my early years actually earlier than the boy scouts i grew up uh in a mounted cavalry. In New Jersey, which was uh, the real deal, we wore a uniform, a cavalry uniform, and it was uh, not a Western saddle, of course. And that was when I was much younger, and we, uh, I showed horses, and uh, it wasn't too long thereafter that I got into the Boy Scouts, and I was, I was, I looked at a picture of myself. Recently, and I said I was must have been the smallest scout in America, because in seventh grade I weighed 71 pounds, and I got in a troop which was pretty remarkable. Uh, In my troop was Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut. Oh my god! Wow. I uh, started out obviously at the very bottom, but eventually I became the assistant patrol leader, and my patrol leader was Robert Trent Jones Jr., the golf architect. Jeez. And uh, we, uh, and the, the, the scoutmaster of the troop was the deputy treasurer of the Standard Oil Company, which was the biggest company in the world. Wow. Uh, and he was the scoutmaster for 50 years. So his impact on the young people in my town, in Montclair, New Jersey, you, you were, as a member of the community, you were expected to do well in school, um, play athletics, and join Troop 12, which was my scout troop. So um, I have a twin brother, Lou, who lives in Houston, Texas, and has a home in Wyoming. And the two of us were the Youngest uh, Eagle Scout twins in America. You can't do it anymore because there's timelines on how long you have to do, be in, you know, first class Star Scout, Life Scout, and so on. So uh, we were Eagle Scouts at a very young age. I had a chance to go to the World Jamboree in Sutton Cofield, Warwickshire, England. Uh, I went to the Philmont Scout Reservation, which was a very special experience, and and I started out. Uh, I started out in the lowest sort of positions in scouting, and and after my scout experience in Montclair, uh, I wasn't involved in the Scouts for quite a few years because I got married, and had, then had ended up uh, with four sons. And when the four sons came along, each one of them were in scouts. And I got totally engaged again, but still wasn't involved in any leadership position, only involved in uh, my various jobs in the troop in California now, because I had moved to California and 1967 in the fall on our on October 10th I moved west and I was very involved uh one other fellow in my uh troop and I were in charge of all of our backpacking and the troop had always gone to the same places every year so our job was to find on every backpacking trip some new adventure that we could go to and I thought that was great and uh A couple of years later, the L.A. Area Council asked me to join the board, and I did. And I was very active. I've never been involved in a charitable pursuit ever where I wasn't totally committed or I wouldn't have accepted uh, the offer, the kind offer. So I was really engaged. And... I eventually became the chairman of the Los Los Angeles Area Council. And that was a tremendous experience. And when that happened, it wasn't too many years later that the Western region asked me uh, to be the president. And it was quite an experience. I got to know uh, all of the leaders in the Latter-day Saints and the LDS Church. Because four hundred thousand of my young people in my western region were f- from the LDS church and so I met uh, with a president of the church who I also knew from uh, my involvement on the National Executive Board of the Boy Scouts of America in Irving, Texas because he was the longest reigning member of the Boy Scout board and when I knew him first, I used to call him by his first name. But, but as soon as he became the president, out of great respect and admiration, I always addressed him as President Monson. Um, and then from the Western region, I was asked to join the National Board officer rank, and I became the treasurer of the Boy Scouts of America and I was the treasurer for eight years. I was also the head of Explorer Scouting, uh, Learning for Life, a whole lot of uh, significant and meaningful programs the Boy Scouts had. And eventually, they, uh, after eight years as the treasurer, they asked me to be uh, the executive vice president, which was in line, the following year, if all went well, to become the national president, and I was lucky because we had about five million two hundred thousand scouts, and I wow. had about a million two hundred thousand volunteers, and it was those were different days. Yeah. Today, the Boy Scouts of America are challenged. Sadly, they're challenged, and hopefully, hopefully, they can come out of it after the bankruptcy uh, ends so by the middle of 2021, they're back in business, but they are in bankruptcy and they are facing lots of challenges. But the Boy Scouts taught me a lot about leadership, taught me about what the meaning uh, was and is of the scout oath and the scout law I can recite that, and every once in a while, uh, from my scouting experience, I'll ask my grandsons to go through the compass with me, and they'll go northeast, southwest. They said, no, no, that's not – that's not, I mean the whole compass, <laughs> all 36 points. And I do that with them all the time. Every year I do it at some point to see if they can remember, and they can't. I don't know why, <laughs> but um, – Uh, The Scouts has taught me so much about teamwork, about leadership, about respect, um, about doing the right thing. You know, the Scouts have always had the phrase, do a good turn daily. And I'm one that because of the experience in Scouting, I've learned a lot about how lucky I've been and how important it is to give back. And I've always believed that if you're fortunate enough to have done well, need to give back with your treasure, your wallet, or your time, or your intellect, but give back with an objective, always with an objective to make the environment you're in, your your city, your county, your state, your country, the world, a better place to live and work. And I have been involved in a lot of charities, and I've always been totally completely uh involved and care
1: a lot about giving back and think it's important there's a uh, there's very few people that we've met in our lives john that um that do it th- as well and in, in the way that that you and your beautiful beautiful bride do and and uh, you know we're sitting here at the bronze buffalo sporting club here at teton springs and and um and the community uh, here, you've had a, a ranch for, I think, close to maybe over 40 years now. Um, 42. 42 years here. And uh, the community here, uh, even during the midst of the COVID crisis, has been greatly, greatly blessed by the the Cushman family and, and – um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have lunch with you and, and your beautiful wife uh, here this past week. In fact, um, you know, I'm not sure I even told Cody, I, uh, Jeannie gave me probably the nicest gift I've gotten for for our new arrival Maverick. We just recently had a... A, a uh, baby, and and uh, she hand knitted a uh, a wonderful little outfit for Maverick. And when I gave it to my wife, she got very emotional because of the the time and attention that uh, goes into that sort of an endeavor. And it was just so gracious. Um, and and listening over the lunch, you know, it was uh, a discussion about some needs here in the community with a local nonprofit, and um, and it, it was amazing always to see the way that John and, and his family step into action and always help and, and give. And that's a real, that's a, for for us, a, a real attribute, John. So thank you for that. Um, talk to us a little bit about maybe your family. I think four sons, right? Um, and 10 grandchildren. Uh, right. Well, um, I've been a lucky guy with a beautiful
2: wife. And in my early years, uh, I traveled so much, I probably didn't have the right balance between family and work and charitable activities. And in my in the book that they wrote about my life, I talked about that as well. I talked about balance. I believe I could get up and give one of the best speeches ever about balance. The problem is I never practiced or implemented any of what I have learned. Uh, I am, of course, now way better at it. But time has moved on, and I was gone for a lot of the time every week across America and the world uh, for business, and uh, I was lucky that I had a wife that uh, was able to significantly be in charge of raising our four sons. We had a wonderful time as a family growing up, but I can remember at one point my wife said you really need to get to know your children better so we had a an old beat up station wagon and an old red canoe we put on the top and we started out on a 4,000 mile expedition which included a we camped out every night and uh, I knew and they the boys all knew about camping out and the tents and cooking and putting our food up in a tree to make sure the bears didn't get it. And we were camping at Jackson Lake in Wyoming. My twin brother, Lou, came along for a day, and he went off looking for land and thinking that would be a good thing for our family to, to be involved with, owning some land in this beautiful uh, in the Grand Tetons. The bottom line of it is he looked in Jackson, in the Jackson Hole area, and as it turned out, we didn't have any money and we couldn't afford anything. So uh, he looked a little bit in Idaho where it was way cheaper to buy land, and uh, some months later after the trip was over, a broker called up, My twin brother, Lou, and said there was a ranch in Driggs, Idaho, just over the mountain from Jackson Hole, about 45 minutes to an hour to the west, that was for sale, called um, Twin Creek Ranch, and we were twins, and that was (laughs) kind of fascinating, so it turned out we bought 240 acres. This was 42 years ago, so you could buy a lot 42 years ago. Today... You couldn't buy the land we have. We sort of have our own little national park, a small sure one, do you. but it, it uh, we're bounded by the national uh, by the uh, national forest on three sides. So that particular experience was a great um, magnet to raise our family, and. Every So I have four sons, four wonderful daughters-in-law, and ten grandchildren. Every one of the sons, the daughters-in-law, and the grandchildren, every one of them lived to go to the ranch. And that's really amazing. You would think with, you know, uh, 24 people or whatever we have now. It's, I think it's 24. Uh <laughs> everyone lives to go so they this summer with covid-19 which was a very complicated situation for all of us uh it turned out to be the silver lining for our family and i would imagine very few families in america experienced what we did cuz we had every member of the family all of the all of my boys their their uh wives uh, the grandchildren, everyone was here. Wow. And it was a little bit embarrassing because that's when social distancing and the mass were um, critical. But we were together so long one of my sons was here seven months. They were all here for months and months. Wow. And we have a picture that'll be our Christmas card this year <laughs> that I didn't, I thought it would should be classified because right in the middle of the pandemic we have a picture of all of us uh, sitting an inch from each other everybody with cowboy boots cowboy hats and western shirts and it's a fantastic picture but during the course of the virus i said if anyone sees that i don't know maybe we'll be arrested because <laughs> we violated every kind of uh um uh, rule or 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 regulation but so they've all grown up grown up at the ranch all of the family how special and uh all of my sons are eagle scouts i have two granddaughters uh and i have uh either of my grandchildren that are eagle scouts and but i have two granddaughters that are absolutely committed to becoming Eagle Scouts. Wow. And I meet people all the time who say to me I was an Eagle Scout and I always have to correct them always and I always correct them to say no you weren't an Eagle Scout you are an Eagle Scout and look we've had 120 million young people go through the scouting movement so it has had a big impact on my family but but that sort of gravitated to the tetons and the ranch so uh when you have as many people as we had together and we saw it this summer with a virus we saw each other every day every mm-hmm. single day we would we were very thoughtful and very careful but we canoed together we paddleboarded we and they ride the horses at our ranch twice a day and Our family's totally, completely into horses. We have all Missouri fox trotters. And so we're into the riding, the fly fishing. We have about a mile of the river the family has. Uh, And the the family likes to go down in the evening and wade and fly fish. And, of course, we have a pond with uh, some big, fat rainbow trout, and uh, so it's, uh, and they, while they're here, they'll go out and pitch a tent on some part of our land and uh, cook out. I mean, we're just that kind of a family. It's a respect for the outdoors that we're into conservation. Um, we support the local charities like the Friends of the Teton River and other things, and with the charitable activities that our family's been involved in. I've never once, not once in 42 years, ever had a conversation with a newspaper or the media about it. We're, we want to be in an environment where it's quiet financial support. We're not looking for any... Uh, any, um, any sort of recognition. Recognition. Yeah. We're just not looking for that. We're looking to be... Uh, Helpful. this community has a lot of needs in so many ways uh, and we've from the hospital to the education to healthcare, care uh, and we're proud to be uh, citizens here I actually uh, people don't realize it but I'm actually a citizen of Idaho I grew up in the east moved to the west for years I was in uh, we still have a couple of homes in California, but my life and my love is the state of Idaho
1: and the Grand Tetons. Wow. Well, on our behalf, thank you, John, because uh, we know that uh, so much about you and, and uh, everything is under the radar, and it's very admirable. Um, you know, to to kind of finish up, a, a couple of, of things um, – you know, we have a, a wonderful club member that uh, has been on the forefront with their pharmaceutical company of a, of a COVID-19 vaccination, and and um, we had him out here with us recently, um, uh, actually during the cattle drive up at the ranch, and and uh, we were kind of talking offline about uh, past pandemics, all the way kind of back to. The very beginning of time, uh, and and understanding the social trends that come out of pandemics, um, and you know, as recent as 1918, kind of women in the workplace became the social trend that that came from from that pandemic. Um, you know, to to quantify for our listeners, it's hard to really quantify. I mean, four billion square feet, I think, or or plus, uh, controlled You know by your organization. In layman terms, how much real estate is that? Um, That's a fascinating question, and I actually have no idea.
2: (laughs) Uh, No one in our company has ever seen it all. No one ever will. That's more than multiple continents combined in the world. Wow, Um, Wow. It's every kind of real estate. It's logistics, it's multifamily, it's retail. It probably involves uh, hospitals, mental institutions, prisons. Who knows what it involves? Uh, But it's all in the capacity as a building manager or facility manager. And we're a public company, and uh, it's a very big piece. Almost half of the recurring income of our firm comes from that discipline. It doesn't have the high margin of transactional business, but it's pretty important. Um, and because w- we're in every aspect of commercial real estate, n- not not just one service line, but
1: sure, many
2: service lines.
1: So, do you do you have any thoughts or predictions on social trends because of COVID related to that uh, discipline? Is it too early to tell? Um, No, I think we've learned a lot uh,
2: about the good and the bad that has come out of this virus. Uh, And in my own opinion, I hope we soon get a vaccine, but I don't think we go into 2021 with the virus behind us. I think it's with us. And that makes the vaccine, where there are multiple companies in America and other parts of the world that are very advanced in this, and uh, I hope we see it soon, but there are certain aspects of the business world that have suffered greatly. Uh, The restaurant business, the service businesses, the airlines, the hospitality sector have really been badly hurt by it. Um, Having said that, there are other businesses. As you know, I'm on the Callaway Golf Company board, and by the time this podcast happens, you'll read some pretty phenomenal news about Callaway, which will happen at 3.30 Mountain Time today. And uh, you, too, will be able to read it uh, tonight. Wow, And uh, it's a game changer. Uh, So the world of golf is just booming. Callaway Golf Company has tremendous leadership, a wonderful board, and is the number one golf company in the world. And uh, the golf business is absolutely booming as a result of this virus. I'll tell you a funny little... Segment that you would have never thought of is baseball cards. When you grew up, you had baseball cards. Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mm -hmm. Mantle, Babe Ruth, whatever. Well, that business is red hot. And uh, it's straight up in terms of baseball card collecting. Um, Obviously, with the World Series, it puts more focus on it. But with the time that people have they're uh, pursuing interests like that. And so there's always in life winners and losers. In my life, I've had plenty of wins and too many losses. I've obviously had more wins than losses, so it's come out OK. But um, if you take risks like I we talked about earlier, you're going to have some you're going to miss the mark a few times. and you know uh i tell the young people if that happens and you get knocked down just pick yourself dust yourself off and get back in the game you got to have you've got to be in there with the uh, the motivation and the spirit to wanna win
1: john wow. this has been such a uh, honor for us to have you on today and and uh, every word's been very meaningful and we're very grateful um you know Cody and I were talking um as long as we've known you there there's a there's a quote and and we'll finish with this but um it it's to command is to serve nothing more and nothing less and um you know when when you walk into a room you've got that presence you command a room and and uh, you know our belief has been because of who you are and, and the service that you've rendered for all these years on on behalf of so many and and um you know would love to have uh you cody leave us with any uh ending thoughts and and john but but on on my behalf thank
0: you so much for taking the time and joining us yeah thank you john and on all of our behalf and uh, and talking to a about our listeners especially the youth uh, very inspirational today i could have listened all day uh to you john we we can't thank you enough for the example uh, that you and your family have uh put out in front of all of us It gives us something to strive for uh, gives us motivation i know i leave this podcast really motivated on things that uh, that we can do better and uh we just really appreciate you john this has been a, our pleasure and and uh, can't wait to spend some more time out on the stream or out riding horses soon.
2: Well, thank you, Justin. Thank you, Cody. I have great respect for both of you and the multiple enterprises you have built and which you've been able to accomplish uh, with, the, with both of you and your family and your commitment to those things that the Cushman family finds
0: dear. Well, Thank, thank you. you. Thanks again, John. Until next time, this is Nothing to Hide with Cody and Justin Hyde, again with John Cushman. Thank you.